0: To another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast, I am your host Scott Haskin, and today I'm being a little selfish. This week, you guys, I am going over one of my own albums. I intend to cover them all throughout the course of the show, and I just thought, you know, it was time to, to touch on this album. And I listened to it again the other day for the first time in, in quite a while, probably since I had released it. And I thought, you know, I really feel like talking about this one. So, anyway, here's the podcast that we're doing today. Well, this album was released on July 30th of 2020 as my 27th album. It's actually all a collection of older songs that had been revamped and modernized. You know, some of these were some of the earliest songs I had written. And I was very young, very inexperienced, really finding a lot out about songwriting and composing at the time. So when I look back on these songs, I thought, you know, some of these songs are just way too long. They're way too repetitive. Um, there's not, you know, enough change in here or a change there, something else is needed. So I, I completely reworked these over the first half of 2020 and I was really excited to release them because some of them are, you know, a couple of my favorite pieces that I've written for sure. Um, just to give you an idea now dreamscape, the opening and title track of the album was actually written in 1995 and it was the. Well, it was the 10th song that I wrote once I got a sequencer and actually started putting songs together properly. I had written one other song um, prior to what I considered real songwriting, and uh, that was back in 89. And I just wrote it. It was terrible. I did it on a four track. But these songs, um, then I started working with with a a four track again in, um, I want to say like 91, 92, probably somewhere in there. And uh, then I eventually bought that four track. It was a Tascam 234, I think, rack mount four track that had a punch button. Um, It was a really cool four track. I bought that from my friend Doug, who was the singer and guitar player of a band called Zen Radio. And uh, it was neat because I had also bought Casio keyboard from him. And so I had a little Dr. Rhythm drum machine. And eventually I I started using the drum machine in my Amiga computer and started writing songs that way and doing it through four track. So it was a lot of, how did I play that? You know, Having to try and remember what sounds I used because I didn't have a way of cataloging all that stuff at the time. Didn't even really think about it. So originally everything I was doing was on four track. And then when I moved up to Denver with my buddy Scott, he said, you should get a sequencer. And I had no idea what a sequencer was and it turns out it's actually really really a, a amazing thing that changed my songwriting world completely it was a 16 track recording studio keyboard uh it would only record the stuff you could do in the keyboard so all the midi stuff you know you could you could select what uh what your sounds were you could put effects on them and all that stuff and you would write the song it, it has up to 16 different tracks so 16 different instruments uh if you used multis, though, that took eight slots, no matter what, even if there was only three actual instruments in the multi, it took up all eight of the slots. So you could have max two multis, you could have one multi and eight other instruments, or you could have, you know, 16 instruments, however you wanted to break it up. But the multis were incredibly restrictive. So I very rarely used them. Now, that being said, then you would take that and you would dump that audio, that music to a four track. And then you could do, you know, more, more instruments and overdub them and mix them together on the four track. You could do vocals, you could do live instruments, guitars, drums, percussion, you know, whatever you wanted to do. So that was a huge game changer for me, because not only did I have the ability to do more than just a few instruments, I had the ability to save my work, recall it, edit it, uh, do, you know, pretty much whatever I wanted with it. And, you know, compared to how I manipulate everything now, it's so limiting. Thinking about it, but going from four track and uh, doing everything analog with having to memorize all the stuff to the way I do things now, or, or even just going to that sequencer, was a, a huge leap in my not just the songwriting ability, but also the quality of the sounds I had because I got a Korg X3 sequencer and that was a 61 key keyboard with a ton of amazing quality sounds. And all these songs that I have on this album were written on that Korg X3 sequencer. I eventually traded it up for an N264. So I went from 61 notes to 76 notes on the keyboard. And I also doubled the sound banks that I had. So it had all the exact same sound banks as the X3 and then additional sound banks that doubled my inventory. So it was a pretty amazing thing. Uh, to be able to have and to write songs on. And then the sounds really inspired a lot of what I started writing because I would just be playing around with different sounds. And I would, I would just come up with a melody based on that sound and start working on that song. And that's how Dreamscape started the song. Um, I was just playing around in this patch. It was called Fresh Air. I believe it was number A33, if I remember right. Really sad I would know that, (laughs) unless I'm wrong, in which case I don't actually know that. But it it just had this really cool sound to it. And I was just playing around with it. And I came up with the melody and then I built around it. Um, Interestingly, though, the original version of the song just started right in. There was no warm up, no nothing. It just, boom, you're in the song. And after I finished it, I thought, you know, I should really insert some measures at the beginning and do a little bit of a lead in and build it up a little bit more. But I never did. And it was on my mind from time to time over the years. I started doing an orchestral version of Dreamscape. And I think I put it in there, but I never went back and fixed the actual song. So when it came time to do the album, I thought, well, this is a perfect time to to add that intro in now, an interesting bit about this song. um, Well, before I get to that, I do have a YouTube series on this album. I've got the link in the show notes where I do uh, a video talking about a, a little bit about each song. So if you want to check those out instead of listening to me ramble on in the audio podcast you can do that play a bit of the song talk about it um it was a lot of fun to do um but this particular song Dreamscape was the uh I had submitted to a contest or or like a compilation album opportunity I should say and of course I was very naive at the time I didn't understand how record companies worked and all that I showed up at Americord um no, no, it was private music. I showed up at private music one day when I was in LA and they're like, we won't talk to you unless you're a music attorney. And I'm like, oh, I don't have that kind of money to hire a music attorney. So that was the end of that. It was just, I, I was really naive and I was really just stumbling around and trying to figure things out how it all worked. So I, I found, I received a letter in the mail. I don't know how they had heard of me, but it was to submit songs for this artist compilation CD that was coming out by a company called AmeriCord. And I thought, well, I'll submit Dreamscape. And I think I submitted a couple other songs. And they really liked Dreamscape. And you had to pay a fee to get into this thing, of course. Um, not to get not to get selected, but if you wanted to go ahead and have your, your song actually put on the CD, you had to pay a fee. But according to them, and what they told me at the time was that Dreamscape beat, beat out over 240,000 other songs to be on the CD. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. And of course, I'm an unknown artist. I don't have any money for marketing. The internet is really kind of just getting up and running. So I had no idea how to utilize that for music. I didn't have a website. I I had cassettes with a label on them. You know, I didn't have um, really like a business phone number or anything. I had cards um, that had my email address and that was it. And that might have been how they found me. I don't know. But in any case, it was an opportunity to be heard. And that was a really big deal back then. So I, uh, I submitted the song, it got accepted, I paid, I think it was like 200 and some dollars, but they let you do an installment plan, which was really cool, because I didn't have a lot of money back then. So uh, I went ahead and did the installment plan. That was like $25 a week for 10 weeks or whatever it was. And um, I was very excited when I paid that off. And then the CD comes out. And it's this really cheesy looking thing. I mean, no cover art to speak of a list of the artists on the back. Um I don't know if it ever did anything or not to be honest but what was really cool was one time I was on my way somewhere and I had to go through the mountains and um now these aren't mostly major radio stations these are mostly like college stations and stuff that'll give independent artists an opportunity that's where they were sending all these CDs to and I got like five copies and that was it and so um I was on my way to somewhere about to go through the mountains I had my AM radio on for some reason. I think that might have been all I had in that car was an AM radio. And um, I was just getting ready to go into the mountains. In the mountains, of course, you're going to lose signal. So just as I was about to turn and head down that road, um, I started to hear Dreamscape come on the radio. I'm like, wow, this sounds really familiar. And it took me a minute to realize it was my song. I was actually hearing it on the radio, which is incredibly... like The odds of me ever actually hearing it were astronomical. So of course, I pulled over and I listened to the song because why the hell wouldn't I? I was being played on the radio. That was so cool. And, um, you know, after I got rid of all the butterflies and whatever, then I went ahead and and drove to wherever the hell I was going. But it was a a really cool experience. And it's one of my favorite songs. It was one of the first ones. It was really the one that set me on the path to writing um, instrumental New Age music. And there was a song called Ancient Dreams by a composer called Patrick O'Hearn, who I love very much. Um, one of my coworkers, when I worked at Hewlett Packard back in 88, I think, um, she, uh, she drew my name in the Christmas pool and she gave me a Patrick O'Hearn CD. She says, you're a musician. You'll probably like this. And I absolutely fell in love with his music. I'd never heard anything like it before. And the song ancient dreams was one that always really stuck with me. And I always wanted to write something like that. So, uh, when I got the cork sequencer, um, I kind of just fell naturally into that. And this was the song that came out of that inspiration. And I will be forever grateful to Scott for recommending I get the sequencer and forever grateful to Patrick for writing ancient dreams and just, you know, being that uh, new age instrumental, um, you know, influence on me because it really shaped where a lot of my music would come from. And so I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. So while I could keep rambling on, Let me just play a little bit of dreamscape for you. Here it is from the dreamscape album. So that was with the extended opening. Uh, as you could hear, there was a little bit of a buildup there that wasn't there in the original version. I also played live bass on this. Um, a lot of fun, though. Um, from the original version, I also added uh, a little bit of a, an ARP Odyssey synthesizer patch just to part of it there. Little subtle thing uh, blended in a little bit. But um, yeah, other than that, the song is um, almost exactly as it was originally. I didn't modify or edit this in any other ways. Um it's exactly the same length, all that. So a very important song in in my musical career. It was really kind of a foundational song for me. Um, the next song on the album is called Swinger. And this was written a long time ago. So this one would have been um, August 29th of 1995. No, I'm sorry, 1997. Um, that was when I finished this one. This song is written about a miniature golf course hole. And if you've ever been to one of the golf courses that has just that piece of wood that's on a chain that that you have to like go and run up to it and hit it. So it swings back and forth over the hole. And then the person tries to hit the ball in and invariably, no matter how you time it, the stick is going to knock the ball and you're not going to get it in the hole on the first try. Uh, I've never gotten a hole in one on that. In fact, it's one of the more frustrating holes on the that I've ever played on a mini, mini golf course. So, of course, I was thinking about it one day and I ended up writing this song about it. Um, the song itself is one I, I absolutely love. I love the sound of it. I love the feel of it. Um, I think it's interesting. I think it's got some different paths that it takes that um, really just kind of draw me in. But it's really the overall production of it, the sound of, of the song um, that I just, it's just very warm to me. And, and I've always loved that. I don't remember exactly how this one came about. I think it was kind of like dreamscape. I think I was playing around with one of the sounds, um, the main sound that that would make up this song and just came up with the melody and then added the layers on top of that one by one and had a lot of fun with it. So I, I do remember really enjoying putting the song together. a lot of fun. I, I really do enjoy that one. It's kind of lighthearted and bouncy for such a frustrating subject, but one I, one I really enjoy nonetheless. And of course, you know, listening to these songs, these are my composing roots here. These are, you know, like I said, some of the first songs I ever wrote. And so there's, a, I, I guess I hear my youth and really some good memories about that time uh, in my life in living in Denver with my buddy, Scott, we were roommates. And um, he was a drummer. I was a drummer. We get a call for Scott, be which one the drummer, which one the one with all the hair, which one, you know, good times. This next song is called One Man's Life. It was the song I wrote before Dreamscape, really utilizing the power of the sequencer on this one and expanding what I could do. I decided to kind of do a journey from birth through death of a person's life and what happened to them. Um, you know, them meeting somebody, them uh, going, growing old together and then losing that person and and carrying on until their own death. And I found a really interesting combination of sounds to bring that about. And originally I wanted to hire, you know, an actual flute player to play on it. But uh, the one the one flute player I knew at the time was really shy. And so she, she's like, yeah, I'll do it. And then she's like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. Of course, the other problem was that I didn't know anything about instrument ranges at the time. So I just wrote the sounds I wanted and didn't think about whether they could actually be played by a person or not. So fortunately, I got a bit smarter about that later, way later than I should have after writing a couple of symphonies. But what are you going to do? So um, this is a little bit of one man's life. So I probably could have chopped this one down a little bit, but I didn't really want to. I felt that it was a bit better having a a little bit more of a drawn out sensation to it as you're progressing through life. There is a little bit of interplay between a violin and a flute. There's sort of a question and answer and and rebuttal. Um, But apart from that, uh, I want to point out that all the synthesizers and sound effects are are, are from the original version. The only thing that I updated were the drums, the flute and the violin uh, samples but apart from that, everything's original synthesizer and, um, a fun one that was a a fun song to play. It was one of the ones that like early on when I got locked into a cool riff, I wanted to just keep playing it and playing it and playing it. And I thought, well, if I like playing it, then people like listening to it, no matter how long I go on, which makes absolutely no sense, but I enjoyed playing it. And I knew I would probably never play it again after the song was done. So, uh, I had to chop a lot of these down for that very reason, but this one is, uh, Fairly straightforward, except for those minor changes and one that um, I, I really like. I think it was a, a pretty big advancement as a songwriter, being one of the first few songs that I wrote and, you know, doing a, like a question and answer thing, a progression through life was a bit experimental, but I really like the way that it came out, especially as the, the person has to go on alone and to their own death and being welcomed by whatever's coming through the other side to take them. It's uh, it was it was a neat idea anyway. Um, the next song on the album is called Acquia. This one was written um, not too not too far away, nine nineteen, and that would be nine nineteen of nineteen ninety five. So a lot of these songs, like I said, are, are back in the beginning in the original album because of that was called Origins. See what I did there? So here is a little bit of Acquia. And this one came from just that piano patch. You know, it had a really unique sound to it. I was playing around and and came up with the riff and or the melody, I should say, and then wrote the rest of the song around. It's kind of how I did a lot of things back then. But uh, in this case, yeah, I I actually had more than one person say that this was a really good travel song, like to just get in the car and drive out on the highway or the open road or whatever and put this song on was a a good use for it. And I'll take that. Um, It was originally like the concept for it was just like swimming in the ocean, you know, like the videos that you see of all the beautiful saltwater fish, like off the coast of Hawaii and stuff. Um, that was kind of the, the, uh, idea that I had when I was working on it. So, you know, it involved just like that free, you know, you can go over here, you can go over there, you can do whatever you want kind of, um, enjoyment and just looking at beautiful scenery. So I, the travel thing really kind of fits, but, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a fun song too. And another one that I, I really enjoyed writing, the next song came actually a little bit later. This one came January 12th of 2000. So just a few years later. And I think that my songwriting skills had developed quite a bit. I had also increased my gear. I had bought an Alesis uh, QSR, which was a QS8 keyboard in a rack. And that gave me, I basically doubled the sounds that I had um, at that point. Um, actually more than doubled because I didn't have the, the N264 yet. I still had the X3. So um, I more than doubled the sounds I had. Then of course I started buying all the additional cards with sounds on them for, for the QSR and, um, just, you know, in- increasing this. I just gobbled up sounds at the time, uh, far more than I was using. So it was kind of silly, but I thought, well, I better get them while I can. And so I still have the QSR unit and all the cards, um, fun, fun instrument though. I, I really like it. It was really good quality at the time. And even a lot of those song uh, sounds I think hold up today, Um, But this was another step almost back to like a dreamscape style. It's really more uh, ambient, got a little bit of a rhythm to it. And um, just a very simple, straightforward song, to be honest. Um, But it's another one of my favorites. And here is Flight of the White Cotton Alien. So the original um, song did not have the percussion panning back and forth between the ears uh, that way. Uh, It did have the kick drum, and that's why it would never qualify to be a mental sauna song, at least not with the rules that I currently have, uh, because that kick drum is a little bit jarring. Uh, Now I would level off that attack a little bit and just make it more the sound and not that attack. Uh, But anyway, at this time uh, in 97, uh, I'm sorry, in 2000, Uh, I was years away from Mental Sauna yet, but I I really feel like the the overall feel of the song would fit well in that series. This one, uh, the title actually came from a buddy of mine that I worked with at Pro Sound named Chris Buden. We were talking about something, I think it was allergies, and he mentioned that he hated those little white cotton aliens. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's basically talking about dandelions, you know, they sometimes before they actually grow into flowers, they have the little spores on them and they blow away into the wind and create more flowers. Or maybe it's after they're done being a dandelion. I don't know. Um, But growing up in Michigan, we saw those all the time. I never had a, a name for them or anything. So I started thinking one day, I'm like, what would it be to be like one of those little seeds just blowing around in the wind completely out of your control? And you're just going to land where you land, and you're going to take the journey that you take without any ability to drive it whatsoever. What would that be like? And I just kind of came up with this song over over the course of a couple of days. It actually came very quickly, I remember. Um, but yeah, this was a lot of fun. And um, you know, again, it was just it started out with just a patch I was playing on. I really liked it, and then I built all the drums and percussion around it. So um, a, another song that came together very very easily but one that I, I really enjoyed. Um, it was a lot of fun to put together. It was one that I didn't want to stop playing because it was just such a, a a lovely world to be in. You know, it was, I I didn't want to leave it for any reason. And, uh, I had to, I had to end the song at some point. So, you know, that was an unfortunate part about songwriting is that at some point you have to stop writing. Um, but if you ever want people to hear it, you need to stop writing. So, our next track, uh, another one of my favorites, this is called Looking Backwards, and this was finished in uh, uh, October 1st of 1996. I remember I was working as a temp at Norwest Bank, uh, one of their corporate offices in Colorado Springs, as um, you know, a job I was really hoping would turn permanent, and uh, it didn't because the agency I was working for got into some big dispute. They had a lot of people over there. And they got into some big dispute with Norwest and pulled everybody out. And it really sucked because I had grown to really like the job. I had a lot of friends over there. I was getting more responsibilities. I I felt like I had the potential to be hired. But you can't hire people after they've been in a contract. If the contract has been severed, you have to wait like a year. Um, Bunch of shenanigans. I did eventually get hired by Wells Fargo, who uh, bought Norwest um, and stayed with them for a little while. And then that turned into a whole other nightmare. But anyway, uh, I remember it was a very, very cold winter, like the kind of winter that you have to take the battery out of your car some nights and bring it in the house. Otherwise, it'll freeze up and you're not going to start your car the next day. It was bitter, bitter cold. And um, I I really wanted something, you know, something to kind of warm me up. And I started playing around with this pad sound and um, worked my way into this song. And then I started actually designing the parts from there, instead of just kind of letting the jam decide where the song was going to go, I actually was really working on the structure of this song. Now, I did a mass update on this one because in the original version, the whole middle section is really kind of boring. It's just um, like a, a bell pad um, just going da 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 and just interminably. And so I had to revamp that. I also had the, the last section of the song went on a little bit too long. So I trimmed that down a little bit. And I think I, I have something that is cohesive. It keeps that that warmth, that ambience that I wanted for the song. And I think it's 100 times better than it was in the original version. So to give you an idea of what I'm talking about here is Looking Backwards. Mm-hmm. The next song on the album, uh, song seven out of 12, this one is one that, um, again, just a, another absolute favorite of mine. I was living in Littleton, Colorado, right uh, right off a, a little place called Marsden Lake in an apartment there. And I remember from I was on the second floor and from my balcony, I could just see a little bit of the lake. And I remember it was a very snowy night. It was the first apartment I ever had a fireplace in. So I put a log in the fire. I bundled up and I just started playing on the piano and wrote this song called By the, By the Light of the Fire. And this one I finished February 19th of 1999. I'm sorry, February 16th of 1999. And um, I just I sat there and did the whole thing in one night all the layers, everything. I just didn't want to stop. And I think it was like, you know, three or four in the morning by the time I finished and I had the next day off. So I didn't have to worry about going out in the snow or anything because it was really coming down and really piling up. Um, And I, I just had the fire on. And so I called the song by the light of the fire. that's another song for me that, um, you know, much like looking backwards just has a certain warmth to it that I really enjoy. And it's a very simple song. I mean, it really plays on that melody through almost the entire song. There's one point where it changes a little bit for a brief period, uh, it drops out and then builds back up again. But apart from that, it's just a song that, um, I've, I've always really enjoyed and and felt very proud of. Um, especially for an early song too, you know, I wasn't an extremely experienced songwriter by that point yet. Um, I'd done a lot of work, but I was still learning so much. I mean, I still am, but that was song number 87. So, um, it, it definitely taught me a lot about beauty and simplicity, but it also taught me a lot about, you know, layering and feeling and that keeping that warmth in the song. And that one is pretty much, um, except for, changing a couple of the sounds um, like the drums. Basically, it's pretty much exactly the way I wrote it initially. I really didn't want to change it. Um, the next song is called The Immaculate Empress. This was a song that was written, uh, finished on July 24th of 1999 and inspired by a friend of mine who I just thought was incredibly impressive. You know, a, a young person, but very intelligent. Treated people well, was very considerate and thoughtful, um, yet just had uh, you know a, a intellectual superior quality to just about anyone I knew, and I could have conversations with her on levels that I couldn't have with other people, and it was really just a, a wonderful um, experience for me to have. So um, I just got inspired, and I wrote this song. I really did to uh, bring that one up to like modern times was just modernize some of the sounds really Uh, everything else is exactly as it is the writing I didn't change any of that Um, the length of the song all that's exactly the same Um, I just use better sounds I remember I started working on that after I had gotten the QSR because that um, that guitar sound comes from the QSR Um, but a lot of fun um a lot of fun and the QSR by the way was the same uh as the Elise's QSA keyboard but it was the rack module so it had all the sounds but no keys and it had the two card slots for different libraries and i controlled that all through the X3 through midi so um still had the 16 tracks to work with at the time um just using utilizing different sounds um the next song on the album is called there's only peace and this one i finished january 12th 1997 And um, it was actually one that I had just written and recorded straight through. And I'm like, this is what I have. And then I did a couple of layers over it. But the initial, the bulk of the song was all recorded in one take, just as I was feeling it. A very unique uh, way of doing things. But um, it was like a seven minute song. It just went on way too long. So I really, really chopped it down and, you know, kept the parts that I thought meant something and wasn't gibberish. And then I used some, you know, creativity to connect to those pieces. So it is quite a revamp uh, on this version of the song. But the first song, I mean, it would put you to sleep and you wouldn't even care to get up. It was that that crazy. So um, it needed a lot of work if I was going to include it on the album. But it fits in with that time frame with songs I was writing. It fits in with the album pretty well. And so here is There's Only Peace. Just playing a shorter snippet of that. I don't want you guys to fall asleep. I want you to relax and enjoy the show, but not, you know, especially if you're driving. So we need to bring the energy up a little bit. So our next song is called Across the Desert. This was uh, two songs after I wrote Dreamscape. And I remember just playing around with some of the percussion and actually came up with uh, a little bit of the percussion first and then started writing the song around it. Going back to the piano the the foundation of it. And I just started thinking about like people trying to cross the desert and coming up on a crest where they think, finally, we're going to see the land. We're going to see how close we are, how little we have left to travel. And they get up to the top of the dune and all they can see is the next dune. And it just like, they keep going through that every time they think they're finally at the crest where they're going to see the city. It's just another dune and just that awful process and, and hope getting tinier and tinier that they're actually going to live through this. And that was what, Um, you know, I kind of wrote the song about it's a little faster because, you know, it's thinking about that adrenaline of, okay, we just have a few more steps to the top and we're going to push and we're going to get up there. And, uh, okay. The next one. All right. Next one's gotta be it. We're going to get up there, you know, just like pushing and pushing and pushing. Um, but it was, it was a fun piece to play on piano and then adding all the percussion and stuff in, um, was a lot of fun too. So anyway, here is across the desert. it really is so weird too for me to uh, hear some of these songs because I, I hear so much potential and I remember how excited I was being able to write in this way with the sequencer and, and everything. And, but I hear so much. I didn't know yet. You know, I'm like, I wouldn't have repeated this that much. I wouldn't have done this, but I kept some of it in there because I wanted to keep the integrity of the original um, without you know modernizing it and perfecting it too much, I still wanted it to have that original charm. But yeah, this was another one that was just a fun thing to play on piano. I had a blast with it, and I wanted to just keep playing it. So I had to chop it down a little bit and be uh, reasonable. You know that seems the right thing to do. Uh, this next song called "The Traveler" was the twentieth song that I had written. This was finished sometime in December of nineteen ninety-five. I don't remember how this situation came about. But I somehow was put in contact with a guy who was looking for background music for Dungeons and Dragons games. And somehow I found him or he found me and we met up. And so I wrote a couple songs and he liked him, but the project never materialized. He never got the budget put together or anything. Um, it would have been fun, though, but it was basically like going to be like a companion album for people who play Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, like on, on the board game, not on the computer. And I love the idea of it. I'm not sure exactly how it would have worked because I've never played the game. Seems like, you know, scenes can probably go on much longer than a song that might get a little bit boring to repeat the song that long uh, if you have to loop it or whatever. But uh, anyway, I just wrote a couple demo songs from it. And this was uh, the one that I just had a blast writing. I think it really advanced me as a writer. This was the second one that I wrote for him. And um, I really made me really wish that something would have happened with it. Now, this is a completely revamped version. The the original version just went on and on and on and kind of just repeated and went nowhere. So uh, this one's got a little more, you know, involvement, I guess, as a songwriter. But it's another one where I just love the feeling of this song, very much like uh, Looking Backwards or Flight of the White Cotton Alien. There's something about the atmosphere of this song that I just absolutely loved. And, and it's kind of a fun, you know, again, another song that you could travel with, and it's called The Traveler. could you tell I was into putting percussion into everything i mean it kind of makes sense though for the song and especially for like a travel song to have something to keep that motion going but this was a lot of fun um it felt kind of uh parts of it felt a little bit renaissance you know the way that i put the horns in just as the accents at the end of the parts and uh and that but it was it was a blast to write i had so much fun with it i was so excited to present it um and and really i think more so than the other one cuz the other one was really like an introduction Piece like a mood setter, you know, really atmospheric. And um, I remember just being so excited to present this and so bummed. I think because of this song, I think more than the other one that the project never materialized. But that's the way it went. I would go through that so many more times over the course of my career. And if there's one piece of advice I could give to people in, you know, in any kind of entertainment career, it's like, you know what? You are going to get so many things coming your way. And so few of them are actually going to turn into real projects. And it's so easy. You know, every time you get one, you're like, oh, finally, uh, this is going to work out and I could quit my day job and I could just be a full time artist and blah, blah, blah. And then when they don't happen, it's just so devastating. And it makes your job just a hateful place to be. Don't fall into that trap. You know, what you want to do is you get offered something, you put your best into it, you hope for it, you put your positive energy into it. But what you don't do is depend on it. Do not depend on that thing becoming a thing, even if they get funding and they're like, okay, this project is going forward. We're going to make it. It doesn't mean it's not even necessarily going to get picked up anywhere. Maybe a record company is not going to buy it. Maybe they're never going to find a distributor. Maybe a studio is not going to take it. Whatever your medium is, just because you know you have funding again, is is just another step forward, but it doesn't mean that the project's ever going to get completed. So many more abandoned projects, I'd say for every project that's completed, there's probably at least a 1000 abandoned projects out there, and all for various reasons. So um, put your energy into it, put your positivity into it, hope for it, don't depend on it. That is the best career advice I could ever give. I mean, other than like work hard, learn your craft and all that like that goes without saying. Um, But boy, I wish I had learned that lesson early because I did not have the right temperament. In the beginning, when it came to, th- came to things like this, and I would, I just became such a frustrated and angry person. My jobs were just ten times worse than they really were because I wasn't getting where I wanted to be in life, and I felt stuck. I'm like, how can I move my career forward if I'm stuck in this forty or fifty or sixty-hour week job? You know, um, it really, really hurt me emotionally not to understand that. So hopefully, if nothing else, if, you know, besides maybe the enjoyment of some of these songs, if there's a takeaway from this episode, it's that right there. So uh, that is my career advice for you today. Now, that brings us to our final song, the ending track, which is called Heathery Clouds. This is another one that was a much longer song eventually, again, because it was like such a party for me to play it that I wanted to just keep playing it and adding layers to the point where it was like, I don't even recognize this anymore. The song doesn't even make sense. So even when I was writing it originally, I was starting to understand that. And this was the 31st song that I wrote. And so even by then, I was starting to get kind of a grip as a producer of what's too repetitive, what you know makes sense, when should there be changes. And so um, I was aware of it, but I didn't really know what to correct. And I didn't know what else to write for it. So the original version was very long and repetitive. And I I did chop it down for this final version, um, I think it layers nicely without getting too, too crazy. I kind of used the sync licensing rules as I redid this to where you're supposed to add new things, every certain amount of of measures or passes of the main melody. And um, sometimes you remove some to change it, but mostly you're going to add or layer or do something different to keep the song interesting every time. But I've always loved the melody of it. I've always loved the feel of it. And the title actually came from I was working at old Chicago's restaurant and there was this girl named Heather there. And for some reason, the name just, you know, I knew so many people named Heather, but for some reason that uh, struck me as a really pretty name. And so I came home. I actually had a dictionary back then. So I looked in the dictionary as to what Heather meant and heathery uh, meant flecked with color. And I thought that was really nice. So what if I wrote a song and I just put these little pings of color in there and and built around that? So that was how the idea started. Uh, But then once I came up with this melody, the melody kind of took it over. And yes, there is some of that with the pizzicato and the strings. But really, the song just kind of took off on its own beyond the original idea that I had. But I called it Heathery Clouds anyway, because I thought it was a nice name, you know, and it is like you could you could easily listen to this and just be staring at a cloud filled sky and seeing different shapes. And like in Michigan, when I was growing up, we had all kinds of, of like little and big clouds, but they were all individual clouds. So you could just like lay on the grass and look up and see all kinds of things in those clouds. And I used to love doing that on those kind of spring days uh, when we had that kind of weather pattern. So um, this is really more a tribute to that, you know, laying on my back back in the grass, not thinking about the fact that there might be spiders or ants under my head. That never occurred to me because I wanted to look at the clouds. And, uh, you know, I was a kid. Nothing could hurt me. And that is what this song is about. Here is Heathery Clouds. This one I finished August 23rd, 1996. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier. So again, a pretty early uh, song in my career, number 31. Uh, not a lot of songs under my belt yet, but I realized just now as I was listening to this, and I think I've probably realized this at some point before, was that as an instrumental songwriter, I wasn't thinking about the structure of a song, like where you would have an opening and then like a verse section or, you know, a B section or anything like that, Um I was just writing what felt good and not really being restricted by any of those typical songwriting rules. So that's probably another reason why the songs were a little bit repetitive, too, is because I wasn't I wasn't controlling that change with any kind of structure. You know, the riff was the song and I would build around it. So um, that's interesting. I just realized that after all these years, what is it? You know, 35 years or whatever. (laughs) So uh, there's that. Um, but a fun song, nonetheless, it does build with a lot of layers. There's another change up in in there a little bit down the road, but the end of it uh, goes back to the main riff, but it's just layers and layers and layers and different things happening. And it's really just kind of a party in one of those songs that I like to call a party song where there's just so much going on and it's so enjoyable and there's you just don't want it to end and you know, it has to. And those are especially effective when you fade them out because you kind of feel like you want to trail off with that music wherever it's going to go but instead of it just stopping and you being like okay well i guess i'm done when it fades out and trails off you're like you feel like there's more happening and you're missing out and you want more of it so while i didn't realize that was a trick of you know for songwriters at the time it seems like all those songs that i feel that way about they all or almost all of them fade out so i've got a list growing of of what i call party songs and if i you know get enough of them or find a way to do it i'll probably do a podcast episode on them at some point I've got a lot of episodes still to go, guys. Um, well beyond the 300 that that would cover this show. so I fully intend on rolling this into like a part two podcast um, just so I can keep the 300 on there for all the artists and people that have been on the show. They can have their episode on uh, Apple podcasts and iTunes all the time. That was a big promise that I made people in the beginning is that your interview is always going to be available, and so it will be at least as long as I'm alive to keep paying for the space so um that's it guys that's this album dreamscape i hope that you've enjoyed it maybe found some fun stuff about the songs in in the trivia or enjoyed some of what you've heard it's a really important album for me because these were a lot of the developmental songs um you know i i wanted to release the album origins as a completely revamped album but a lot of them are vocal songs and I can't sing anymore and I haven't found a singer yet. So I had to just split things up and um, just do the instrumentals from, you know, the first couple of albums and a couple of stragglers from later albums. But uh, I, I was very happy with all the songs I selected. I think it makes a good cohesive thing with me editing them and producing them a little bit differently. I think they're all cohesive and not like, wow, he was like 12 when he wrote this and 70 when he wrote that um, not 70 yet. So that would be impossible, but you get what I'm saying. Like that there wouldn't be such a vast difference in the quality of, or the writing of the song that, um, it wasn't a cohesive album. So I'm very, very happy with the album. It's, it's one that obviously is going to be very dear to my heart because I hear my youth in these songs. And, um, I hope that you guys have enjoyed it. You know, if you like the album, if you want to hear more, um, yeah, it's available on Spotify, whatever, but also all the links are in the show notes. Um, you can also go to my website, scotthaskin.com, click music, and then under, under the albums, I have all the current released albums. I have all the non released albums, too, like all the ones I pulled off the market to do this revamping of all the songs and modernize them, um, you know, and kind of put them more to the quality of where I'm at as, a, as a, not just a writer, but a producer as well you know, and the the production is very important from both the sonic quality, the quality of the instruments I use, as well as the the writing, you know, the writer's producer, you know, saying, okay, this chorus goes on too long, or you need another bridge or that kind of thing. Um, so it's all very, very important. The only thing that I'm changing as far as the, the sound of the songs other than the writing, or if I add an instrument or two would just be, you know, to update some of the sounds, like I'm not using the Korg X3 drums anymore. I'm I'm using like more modern sounding drums and things like that. I'm playing drums on the songs when I can. Um, My shoulder is still pretty messed up, so I'm still limited on what I can do. But as long as the song sounds good, that's all that really matters at this point. And me getting songs out to you guys Is the goal. So, the new album I'm hoping to have out in June, this is a completely original album called Songs from the Circuit Board. And then uh, the next album that I do probably in January will probably be another revamping of songs. So, I want to do two albums a year one, an album of new material, and two, an album of these revamped songs until I get through all of them. I might do like a best of film scores and stuff like that that I've done. I haven't decided yet. But in any case, thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode, for listening to me indulge uh, my own creativity a little bit instead of promoting someone else's. And thank you very much to Audionamics for providing me the instant dialogue cleaner, the greatest tool I have in my arsenal. Thank you also to Cakewalk by BandLab for saving Cakewalk from the disaster it was becoming and keeping it available for all of us. And not only that, but for making it free. I'll definitely have to visit you guys at the NAM show if you're there this year. And thanks to you guys for listening. It really means a lot to me. If, you know, if I was just talking to nobody, what would be the point? So thank you guys for being a part of the experience. You guys have a great week and I'll see you on the next episode. Cheers.